before we get into the message, and there's something else before we get into the message, I'd like to pray too. Uh, again, pray for uh, God's protection over our church through this pandemic. And in particular, many of you, probably most all of you know, uh, Pat's dad is, is uh, hopefully on recovery from his bout with COVID, very serious. Uh, Greg Burris, one of our members here, uh, is in recovery as well. We would want to pray for full recovery, and you may, you certainly know others as well. But let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, just uh, we thank you that we who dwell in your secret place, O Most High, we shall abide under your shadow, the Almighty. We will say of you, you are our refuge and our fortress, our God, in you we will trust. <clears throat> we shall call upon you and you will answer us. You will be with us in trouble. You will deliver us and honor us. With long life you will satisfy us and show us your salvation. And Heavenly Father, we want to pray specifically for Pat's dad, Ron Schultz. We pray that you'd give him a full, robust recovery and, uh, and uh, bring him back, Heavenly Father, to where he was before. Give wisdom to the doctors, but Heavenly Father, you are the great physician. Put your healing touch upon him, the same way with Greg Burris and others, uh, family members, uh, friends that we may know. Heavenly Father, we ask that you touch them in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we get to uh, the message, again, one of the perks of being uh, a speaker is that when one of my grandkids is introduced into the world, I get to introduce him or her to you. And so we're going to talk just to share briefly about uh, Collins Grace Madsen. She was born on, what's that say, Jan June 17th? Is that right? All right, I got that one down. And she was a preemie. She was like uh, 33, I believe 33 weeks. And so uh, you can scroll through those pictures. She had to be in uh, a NICU for, I don't remember how many days, a month or so, three weeks, four weeks, something like that. Anyway, she got to come home and she's doing just great. She was just four pounds, some ounces when she was born. And uh, those are... That's Aaron and another one, Annie with the baby, and there's Ruby. So now they got two boys and two girls, perfect family, and there they are. And then we got one of Jean, and then yours truly with Collins Grace Madsen. Praise the Lord for her. Today marks what could be termed, uh, termed the beginning of Cottonwood's year. Uh, Taylor shared last week how uh, since he wor works for UND, he's kind of on an academic calendar as well. Summer's over, school has started, and for a number of years, this Sunday has been uh, uh, unofficially designated as my Sunday to do with it as I see, see fit. And uh, I've been using these Sundays year by year to share uh, apologetics messages uh, messages that affirm and confirm the validity of the Bible and the, and the, the reasonableness of our faith. And we're going to do that again today. Um, and it's also meant, especially meant to equip students for whatever um, confrontations or challenges they may have to their faith in school, with friends, whether it be the university setting, public schools, whatever. 
I just got this this morning. Gene uh, fed it over to me. This is interesting. Uh, a man named Greg Epstein was just elected president of uh, the Harvard Organization of Chaplains. Harvard University Organization of Chaplains. I guess there's about 20 chaplains that serve Harvard University. Amazing. But what's really amazing is that this guy, he's an atheist. Did you hear that? He's the president of the chaplains organization in Harvard University, and he does not believe in God. And did you know this, that Harvard University was established to train preachers of the gospel? My, how times have changed and how people need messages like the one today. And again, most of my messages in August have been about creation, evolution, and people may say, oh, you're the person or you're the church that believes in a literal genesis and a, a week of creation and a young earth and a global flood, ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. Well, yes, we believe things like that, but that's not our bottom line. Our bottom line is that we believe the Bible is true from beginning to end. That what it says is true, we can believe in it and not be ashamed. That's why I had Lucy read Genesis 1, verse 1, Revelation 22, verse 21. Those verses and everything that's smacked between them, we believe. That's the bottom line. How many of you remember... Uh, what I shared on the last Sunday of August in 2011. Good. Because I'm going to share a message similar to that today, but with some important updates, particularly with what's called, uh, come into being is consensus thinking, including consensus science. Listen to that a little bit later. I'll talk about that. Today's message is the seven C's of history. Full disclosure, I didn't come up with this title, this name. That came from a man named Ken Ham and his organization, Answers in Genesis. He and his group built the Creation Museum and the uh, Ark Encounter in northern Kentucky. Has anybody, anybody here ever have been to the, yeah, yep, Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Some others have been too that aren't here today. Ken Ham and his organization built those, and praise the Lord for those. One of my goals today is that you'll be able to recall in order then each of the seven C's of history, and here they are, and be convinced of each. Okay, now I'm not looking at my notes. I'm not looking at the PowerPoint. So you see if I get this right. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. So class, at the, end of, at the end of the message here, we'll see if you can recite those as well, probably just to yourself. I won't have you do it out loud. Number one, creation. And we'll spend different, amount, different amounts of time on each of these. So uh, don't get bent out of shape if I go long and one. I'm not going to go the same, same amount of time on all these. According to Genesis 1, God created the heavens, the universe, the earth, life, and everything in it in six ordinary days, and then he rested on the seventh day. If you follow the generational timelines from day six, when man was created, to Christ, you have about 3,970 years. You can do the math. 
3,970 years from Adam to Christ. How could that be? We're told by scientists that the earth and the universe are billions of years old and that we came about through evolution. Well, did you know that actually there are more, there are more um, dating systems that date the earth as being young rather than old, like billions of years old? In the Bible, when a day is numbered, as in Genesis, it is an ordinary day. And also, <clears throat> not a huge indeterminate lifespan. And also, when evening and morning are mentioned in a verse in the Bible, it's an ordinary day. And that's what we have up there in Genesis 1.5. Did you know that Jesus himself, he affirmed the creation account in the New Testament he said this, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. He affirmed that Adam and Eve came at the beginning of creation, not millions or billions of years after creation. And also in that verse, he affirms that there are exactly two sexes, two genders, male and female. That's it. The creation account is also confirmed in Romans 5.12. Get this, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin... Evolution says there had to be multiple generations, millions of generations of death, life and death, overturning over and over again before, Adam, before man came on the scene. But the Bible says that through Adam, his sin, death entered into the world. So there is no death until the sin of Adam and Eve. For those wanting to know how the stars can be millions, you've thought about this, how can stars be millions or billions of light years away in the earth and the universe still be young? There is a wonderful book called Starlight and Time, Solving the Puzzle of Distant Starlight in a Young Universe by a PhD, D. D. Russell Humphreys. Very easily read book, although there's some appendixes that have some fancy equations in them. And uh, what I've done today, we have uh, two of those books that we're going to give away. So let me know if you want one, and you'll, it'll be yours. And if there's more than two people that are interested in something like this, I'll put you on the list, and I'll hound the person ahead of you to make sure he finishes it or she finishes it and gives it to you. Starlight and Time, Solving the Puzzle of Distant Starlight in a Young ver Universe. Amazing book and some amazing uh, 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 observations from Scripture that support it. <clears throat> now, a little interlude about creation and the accuracy of the Bible. You'll get stuff like this now and then. <clears throat> a college freshman was caught off guard when someone conjured up a supposed case of biblical inaccuracy, saying it describes grasshoppers as four-legged insects. And we have a verse from Leviticus 11.20, all flying insects like the locusts that, cover, that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Everybody knows that grasshoppers and locusts and insects have six legs. So is the Bible wrong here? So there, the Bible has an error. Well, actually, not an error indeed. Uh, grasshoppers and locusts, they indeed have six legs, but when they walk, they use four of their legs, and when they jump, they use that second, that last pair of hind legs. So there, God's Word is reliable and accurate. I read a, a pretty um, technical book recently about uh, creation and 
I won't go into that other than the odds of life coming about by chance, it's like this. It's like we take one atom in the whole universe and we put a red X on it, and you, you have to find that atom in the universe, one atom in all the atoms in the universe. You talk about get, finding a needle in a haystack, you try to find that one atom in all the universe. In other words, it's utterly, mathematically, chemically, physically impossible. So, creation, the next C, corruption. Everything was perfect in God's original creation. Genesis 1.31. Only when Adam and Eve sinned did death and corruption enter creation. God said, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, the forbidden fruit. And then he said, after they ate, cursed is the ground for your sake. So shortly after creation, we don't know how long it was, if a few days, if it was the first day, if it was a week, a few weeks. We do know it was before Adam and Eve had any children, they sinned. And it explains why there's death and disease and crime and things like what are going on in Afghanistan and elsewhere around the world. God gave man free choice and he chose to disobey. And I would say this, even if Adam hadn't disobeyed, if it got all the way down to me in history, I would have been the one to disobey. So we have creation, we have corruption. Now the next C is catastrophe, the worldwide flood of Noah's day. Genesis 6, 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So he said this, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. So he sent a flood. The waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The worldwide flood of Noah's day, it's a historical fact. Again, Jesus certainly believed it. Matthew 24, but as, in the, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. He did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So about 1,656 years after creation, God flooded the whole earth, and only the people and animals in the ark survived, other than ocean life. Much of our geology today bears the mark of the great flood and its aftermath, probably the best example being the Grand Canyon. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? Amazing, beautiful, isn't it? Also, fossils, all those fossils laid down during the flood. Also, we'd be grateful for this, oil and coal and natural gas, energy, abundant energy for people. Also this, confirmation in history from practically every people group, they have an account of a great worldwide, or maybe not quite so worldwide flood, hundreds of them. One more observation. After the flood, God said this, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Similarly, here's a verse out of Jeremiah. And again, this as opposed to um, being fearful of uh, oceans rising and wiping us out. 
who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it. Even in a fallen world, God has put in place checks and balances in order to maintain environmental stability. When I, when I was in school, I was taught that carbon was the backbone of life. Probably you were as well. Every, every living thing has carbon as its backbone. Now it's like carbon is said to be a pollutant or a poison that must be eliminated. Really, carbon dioxide should be thought of the gas of life. The more carbon dioxide is out there, plants will grow better. The ratio, the percentage of carbon dioxide in our universe, in our, excuse me, in our atmosphere, is really very low, less than 1%, 0.04%. When I was growing up, the alarm was sounding on global cooling in another ice age. Some of you older folks remember that as well. Ever since the 60s, we've had alarmists preaching this and that, that the world is going to end. God has put constraints in our environment. One more thing, and this is where we get into our society and academic institutions often play the game of, watch for this, consensus thinking or consensus, so-called consensus science, that if enough people believe it and enough of these so-called scientists believe it, then you need to believe it as well. And if you don't, what happens? You'll get canceled. You won't be able to share your opinions and uh, you won't be able to be eligible for advancement in, in uh, academia and so on. So we have creation, we have corruption, we have catastrophe, the next C is confusion. And about 106 years after the flood or about 1,762 years after creation, mankind was again bent on making themselves into gods. And they said this, Genesis 11, come. Let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But God said, come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. That was the beginning of all the different languages of the world, confusion. Up until that time, there was one language, but at the Tower of Babel, God brought confusion, and he scattered mankind. It was also that marked the beginning of nations, nation states. It was also the, the seed of what is commonly called racism, where people will judge one another on the basis of their appearance. But note this in, seven, in Acts 17, 26, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in the face of all, all the face of the earth. There's one race, the human race, and I'll leave it at that. Here's more confirmation of the confusion of languages at Babel. Genesis 10 lists, lists about 78 family groups that acquired their own language, <clears throat> and this accords well with modern linguistic scholarship where they say there's about 78 to 80 different languages. Go right back to Genesis chapter 10. 78 family groups, it became 78 language groups. Also this, that languages over the years, they actually have degenerated from being more complex to less complex. The Tower of Babel is why we have to take classes on foreign languages to graduate from college. 
Chinese, Russian, French, Spanish. It's why we need interpreters. Ugh. God did a thorough job at Babel, didn't he? So, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion. Next one's Christ. Did I miss one? No. Next one's Christ. About 3,000, about 3,970 years after creation, Christ was born. God's Son, born of the Virgin Mary, fulfilling prophecy made hundreds of years earlier. And here's one such prophecy. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Hundreds of years later, Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's the fifth C, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ. Next one is the cross. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and he died on the cross for our sins. All who trust in him as Savior and Lord are saved and have their sins forgiven. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Isaiah 53.5, by his stripes we are healed. Question, have you come to Christ for salvation yet? We have quite a group here today. Anybody here yet outside of Christ? You haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Have you come to Christ for your salvation? Creation? Pardon? All right, praise the Lord. I didn't hear all that, but, but I heard Bruce say... Thumbs up, so thumbs up too. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, the cross, and now the seventh C is consummation. This is the, this is the last C that is yet to happen. This is pre-written history. Much of the Bible, did you know, in the Old Testament is pre-written history. This is pre-written history, the consummation. Jesus is coming back. Not as a lamb, but as a lion. Not going to be the same as the first time. It's going to be vastly different. He's going to rule over all the nations. Again, a verse from Acts. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And remember this. Consensus thinking is that he's not coming back. Consensus thinking. First Peter, 2 Peter 3, 4. They're saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything's going to continue as it is now, day after day after day. No, Jesus is on his way back. That's the last seed yet to be, yet to be fulfilled is a consummation. Jesus is coming back. Will you be ready for him? If he came back today, would you be ready? Tomorrow, are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Oh, how our world needs him to return Closing, okay, uh, I don't know, I can't remember if I have that on a PowerPoint, but don't put it up if it is. See if you can, we will do this out loud, see if you can recite the seven C's. Number one, 
creation. Number two, corruption. Number three, catastrophe. Confusion. Christ. Cross. Consummation. Well done, class. Genesis 1.1, again, these, this verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The first verse of the Bible, and then the last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Those two verses and everything in between need to be believed and are worthy to be believed. Students especially, as you embark, whatever classes you may be in this year, keep this conviction because it will be challenged. Let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the written Word of God. We'd be so lost without it. Thank you that it's our compass, it's our standard, it's our plumb line for life. Thank you that we can bank on it. I have put my whole life, I'm banking my whole life on it, and everybody here, I believe that as well. Help us, Heavenly Father, maintain that conviction from beginning to end. It's all your Word. I pray especially for our young people, students, that they'd hang tight onto your word and not let anything go. No matter what consensus thinking or so-called consensus science is saying, your word comes first. In Jesus' name, amen.